Everybody? All right, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to continue this morning uh, in our study of the uh, parables of Jesus. This will be our, our fifth week, so we're covering uh, all the parables of Jesus. Um, as I said, uh, I've said this a couple times, Some there's disagreement on really how many parables there are. Some people say there's about 45, others people say there's about 50. We won't worry too much about that, but um, uh, we, we are in our, I think we're covering our fifth week of the parables. Today, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 27, and we'll go through chapter 20, verse 16, and we will be talking about the laborers in the vineyard, the laborers in the vineyard. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, uh, the parable is actually in chapter 20, verses 2 through four. I think 1 through 15, but we'll start in Matthew 19, uh, verse 27. Now, just like last week with the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, this parable begins with a question. Uh, somebody asked Jesus a question. With the Good Samaritan, you remember the lawyer asked Jesus, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Well, today, the question is coming from a disciple, and it starts, and this disciple is Peter. And you'll, let's start reading in Matthew 27. And we'll read through verses 29. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Now we won't go back up in the verse, but if you read back up a little bit, you'll find that this parable follows just behind, um, just beyond or just subsequent to the, uh, the, the uh, story of the rich young ruler. So everybody remember the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically says, you need to keep the commandments. And, and the rich young ruler says, well, I've, you know, I've done that from my youth. What am I missing? And he knew he was missing something. And, and, and I think one of the Gospels even says, Jesus looking at him loved him. And he said, one thing you're missing, sell everything you have and, and give everything to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler, it says he went away sad because he had a lot of money. And he just could not trade his money for following Jesus. He made a choice. And, um, and, and Jesus says, remember what he says? He says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And, and the apostles were, the disciples were listening and they were like, man, they couldn't believe that. But that's, that story led to this question. See, Jesus, uh, Peter said in reply to what Jesus said, well, what about us? We didn't make the choice the rich young ruler made. We've left everything. Granted, we, we weren't rich, but we left our boats. We've left our families. We've left everything. What are we going to get in, as a reward? Now, Jesus goes on and says this. You can read on down. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And then Jesus makes this statement. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. You see, Peter wants to know what reward is going to be given to those who give up everything to follow Jesus. And in response, Jesus wants to teach him a truth about the kingdom of of heaven. And he says in verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last will be 
first. Now, if you look in your Bible there, and I hope you got it open, and you, you, you see that's the very last verse in chapter 19. Now, now look over to chapter 20 and go down to verse 16, which, which is the verse following the, the very first verse following the parable. Jesus says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. So the parable is in verses 1 through 15, and you've got this statement in the last verse of chapter 19, and then this statement following the parable. It actually brackets the parable. Everybody see that in your, in your Bibles? The first will be last, and the last will be first. So it's pretty easy to see what this parable is all about. You know, when Jesus makes a statement, tells a parable, and then makes the statement again, it's pretty easy to see that this parable is all about explaining what that statement means. That's what the parable of the labor in the vineyards is all about, is explaining the meaning of that statement. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. You see, if you just take that statement and you just pull it out, right? Somebody just says, hey, what do you think this verse means? The last shall be first, and the first will be last. It, it can almost be a riddle. You can start asking yourself questions. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean if I'm, if I'm a leader in the church here on earth, that I'll be a... I'll be last in the kingdom of heaven. And those who are really last here on earth and don't really do anything, they'll be first. Does that make any sense, by the way? If you, if you don't do much with what you're given here, what does Jesus say about heaven? You, won't, you, you, know, you don't get a lot of authority. You've got to do a little bit with what you got to get more. And, and, and in fact, it, it, it just, it's a riddle almost, right? It's like, a, what does that mean? Is there a caste system in heaven of some sort? That there's first and last? What's, what does this mean? Well, that's exactly what the parable is about. Jesus doesn't want us to sit here thinking, well, what does that mean? And come up with all these different scenarios. He wants to tell us what it means, and he does it through the use of this parable. So first off, this parable is pretty straightforward. It's to explain the meaning of that statement the first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, let's turn to chapter 20, verse 1, and let's start reading the parable. Jesus says this, for, and by the way, that word for is a connecting word. He says the last will be first, and the first will be last because, and he goes into that. That's what that word for connects it to that last statement. So we know this is what he's doing. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is, at, is like. Now, what he's going to be doing here in this parable is explaining a truth about the kingdom of heaven. Now, we need to ask the question very quickly, what is the kingdom of heaven? You remember in Matthew 3, 3 1 through 2, it says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? Coming? It's here. See, when Jesus stepped on this earth, the kingdom of heaven came. This is, the kingdom of heaven is not something that's coming when we die. It's not so, something that's coming when, when Jesus returns to, to gather his saints to him. It's not that point. The kingdom of heaven is, is here. It's right now. It's at hand. You see, what, what he's talking about, the kingdom of heaven is this spiritual realm where God rules through the grace of salvation. We're already in the kingdom of heaven. You, you, today, you and I should be living in the kingdom of heaven, working in the kingdom of heaven, serving. Should we not? Everything I'm doing right now is for the kingdom of heaven. It's not for now. In fact, if it's for now, I'm doing it for all the wrong reasons. Right? We're, 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 trying, to, we're trying to bring people in the kingdom of heaven. We're trying to grow the kingdom of heaven. We're trying to mature the kingdom of heaven right now. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's what, that's what Paul tells us. So we're in the kingdom of heaven today. So Jesus, what he's doing in this parable 
is he's telling us this is how, this is not, this, that may be how it is in the world, but this is how it is in God's kingdom. This is a truth I'm going to give you about God's kingdom and among his people. So he says this in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So here is a man who owns some kind of an estate, right? He, he's got a house, he's got some land, and on this land he has a vineyard. Now, just with, as with all of Jesus' parables, this is, he's going to include a scene that everybody that's listening to him would be very relatable to, right? They all understand this. He doesn't go pull scenes and stories from another country. He, he deals with things that these people would be very, very uh, familiar with, which would be his listeners. Now, if you go to Israel today, there are places in Israel where you'll find, find very flat plains. Uh, for example, if we were to go out to Nebraska, I was in Kansas last week, and it's, you find these very flat plains, and, and where you find those, they grow grain. And it's the same thing in Israel. You can go to the Sharon Valley, you can go to the Jordan Valley, and there are some places in Israel that are very flat, and when you go to those places, the main crop that they grow is, is grain. But the fact is, the majority of Israel is mountainous. You remember last week, we talked about uh, the road going down from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 18 miles and it drops 3,000 feet. So it's a, it's a very mountainous and hilly uh, land. That's what dominates the landscape. And in those areas, the vineyard is the most prevalent crop. You just can't grow grain for whatever reason on the side of a hill. But vineyards, are, are, are that's a good place for them on mountains, uh, mountainsides and, and hillsides. But you've got to keep in mind that because of the terrain that they plant vineyards on, it's also, it requires the most amount of labor. It's the most labor intensive. You've got to go in there and you first got to take out the rocks. You've got to build, uh, got to build these terraces to plant the vineyards on. Uh, in those days, you might want to bring in uh, extra soil and fertilizer. You would have to bring that in by manual labor. You'd have to put it on men's backs or... Or, or put it on the donkey and leave, you know, get it up. It's very, very labor-intensive. Uh, and it's also a year-round thing. In, in spring, they have to prepare the soil. In the summer, they, they do the pruning and they tie up the branches. In the fall, of course, the grape harvest comes in. So this is a, a year-round thing. So planting a vineyard, maintaining a vineyard, harvesting vineyards, especially in first-century Israel, was a very labor-intensive, very strenuous activity uh, that, that men had to go through. So it was work that required a lot of physical labor, especially in the summer. There was a lot of work to do with pruning and all of that in the summer. Uh, really hot. And, and by the way, we'll find out in a minute, this story that Jesus tells takes place in the summer. So in the summer, you've got the heat and everything. A lot of labor is required. So because of all this, because of the labor that it takes to run a vineyard, because of the heat and these other things, additional labors a lot of times were needed to be brought in to work in the, in the vineyard. And, and most vineyard owners, like this man in the story, you wouldn't keep staff, right? You wouldn't have enough staff to do all the work that you needed. So you would need to go out and hire some cheap part-time labor when the season uh, demanded it. Okay, so, so let's say in the heat of the summer where, you know, you're working 12-hour days. You just, you know, it's, it's really hard to get a lot out of men. I've got to work all day, 12 hours a day, six days a week. 
So during the summer, they would go out and hire additional laborers. They would do the same thing in the fall when you want to get the harvest in real quickly. You don't want rains or storms to come and mess up the grapes. They would go out and they would hire, they'd try to find some cheap part-time labor that they could use to come in and, and, and help, with the, well, help with the harvest. So what they needed was day workers or day laborers, okay? So, you know, we, you know, we, by the way, so day laborers, I don't know if you've ever seen them standing on the corner waiting for some. This has been around for thousands of years. This isn't something new that's happened in the last, uh, in the last century. Uh, we refer to them today as, as day laborers. Um, so at the start of a work day, the owner would go down to the marketplace and he would try to find additional men to work in his vineyard. Now in that day, hired laborers like this, day laborers, would be considered the lowest class of worker. Uh, they were basically unskilled. You know, they really weren't trained in anything. They weren't professional in anything. They were unemployed. They weren't, they weren't regularly employed at a place of business. They were unemployed except for the days where somebody could pull them in just to work for that day here and there. So they, they were kind of the lowest of the, of the low. And, and life for these men, just as it is today, life for these men is kind of precarious, Right? I mean, you go down to the marketplace or you go down to the corner, you're hoping you're going to get hired on that day. You're hoping you're going to make enough money that day to, to pay a bill or to, to feed a family. But you're literally, as a day laborer, you're living day to day. You don't have a steady job. You're just hoping to get hired. They had to work in order to eat. They had to work in order to provide for their uh, families. Now... Think about their position as opposed to somebody that was a servant or maybe even a slave in a, in a house. Uh, now, those people might be poor, but at least they knew where their next meal was coming from, right? At least they knew where they were going to be sleeping that night. But these day laborers just did not have... Um, they, they were never certain. They didn't have that kind of confidence. They received, by the way, the lowest pay of any workers... Because again, they, they didn't have any skills, they, they weren't permanent. You could kind of, if you didn't like them, you could say go. So they were, they, they were the lowest paid. They basically lived a, a bare bones um, uh, subsistence level. Now, here's something very interesting that I found when I was looking at this. Did you know that God himself is very aware of these day laborers? He was very aware of them. In fact, go back and look at a couple of scriptures. You don't have to look in your alternative for you. Leviticus 19.13 says this, The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Deuteronomy 24.15 said this, You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, because he is poor and he counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. In other words, the Bible says, the law, the Old Testament law says, when you hire a day worker like that, you pay him at the end of the day. You don't tell him, hey, I'll get you your pay at the end of the week. Because he, he counts on it. He doesn't have anything in the bank, right? I mean, he needs that money to feed his family. So God says, you pay him at the end of the day. And if you hire him tomorrow, you pay him at the end of <coughs> that day. So, in fact, God goes on to say, I'll consider it a sin if you don't pay him at the end of the day. If he cries out to me about that, I'll hold that against you as a sin. So, so God is very aware of these types of, of workers and he wants them to be taken care of properly. So this, this story is a, is a very relevant, a very relatable, a very vivid story that happened every day in, in any given Jewish town. 
um, day laborers would congregate in the marketplace and they would wait for somebody to come and hire them. Okay, so this kind of sets the stage for the, the parable. Now, I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, a typical work day, you think we got it bad, a typical work day in Israel began at 6 a.m. and it ended at 6 p.m. It was a 12-hour work day, and by the way, they worked, they worked Sunday to Friday. They worked six days a week. They got one day off, which was the, was the Sabbath. So here we are on this day. It's, it's 6 a.m. in the morning. Their work day is ready to start. So the owner of the vineyard goes down to the marketplace and he's looking for laborers. Look at verse 2. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, we know from Roman records, the Romans were excellent keepers of records. So we have a lot of records from, from the Roman Empire. And we know from them that a denarius a day was, what they, was the standard wage for a Roman soldier. That was considered a fair wage in that day. It was not the wage you would normally pay a day worker. Remember, the day workers were part-time. They were, they were throwaway. You paid them the very minimum you could, but not this owner. This owner is very generous. He's go, he goes down there, and he agrees with them for a denarius a day. So I want you to see, first off, that what he's going to pay them is very generous. Everybody with me? He's not, he's not trying to rip them off. He's not trying to get them as cheap as he can. He says, I'll give you what's considered in that day a very, very fair wage. And so, so I mean, these guys, I'm sure, in fact, that early, normally a day worker might have some choice, right? If you're there early in the morning, three or four trucks might drive up, right? And you may, you, maybe you can negotiate and think, well, I can get a better offer over here than I can over here. And they may have normally thought, well, now maybe we ought to wait a little bit and see what else comes along. But, but, but again, this is generous. This is very generous. So these guys don't hesitate at all. They sign right up for this guy, and they go to work at 6 a.m. Uh, in the morning. Now, look at verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So it become, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. About three hours have gone by in the vineyard, and the workers have been working, and the owner goes back to the marketplace, and, and he, he, he's looking for other day workers who have not, been, have not been hired, and he finds some standing there. Look at verse 4, and he says to them, Hey, you go in the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you, so they go. Now, I want you to notice this time at 9 in the morning, there's no negotiating. Everybody see that? There's, they don't negotiate over any kind of wage. The owner just says to them, hey, go work the rest of the day, and I'll pay you whatever is, is, is right and whatever is fair. Now, I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a second. They've been waiting there three hours, right? They got there at 6 a.m. They've been waiting three hours, and nobody's come. Now, if you're a day worker, and three hours have gone by, and nobody's come, guess what? your hopes are going down, right? Because most people are going to hire you early in the morning because they want to get a full day's work out of you, right? So they're sitting there at 9 in the morning, they're thinking, man, this is not looking good. And, and, and here, here, comes this, uh, here comes this owner. And the owner comes up and says, hey, man, what are you all still doing here? Hey, nobody's hired us. Well, go, go work, and I'll pay you whatever's fair. Now, at this point, listen, time for negotiation is over, <laughs> Right? These guys, they know their options are, are pretty limited, so they just go. 
They don't, they don't argue. They don't negotiate. They just think, you know, whatever, this, whatever we can get today is great. So they go into the vineyard. They're willing to take whatever this man uh, will give them. Now, again, more than likely, they were there at 6 a.m., right? They heard, they saw with their own eyes this owner hire those other workers. They heard him negotiate with them for a denarius a day. So they, they probably in their mind are thinking what? Well, we're going to work nine to six, so we'll get 75% of that or three-quarters of that. Man, this is, that's not bad, right? So, so they just go, right? They don't, they don't argue with him or anything like that. So, so no discussion of price. They go off to work. Now, they're, they're just glad to be able to earn. They're just glad to get something because a whole day spent standing there in that marketplace waiting is a whole day wasted. So they're, they're fine with whatever he'll give them. But I want you to show you the onus or the responsibility is on the owner of the vineyard to pay him. At the end of the day, he can pay him whatever he wants. It's completely up to him. Look at verse 5. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So it gets to be 12 o'clock noon. So the owner goes back to the marketplace and he hires some more. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he goes back to the marketplace and he hires some more. Now, again, it doesn't tell us, but you have to assume once again there's no negotiating, right? So these, these guys have been there till they've, stand, they've stood there for six hours. Some of them have stood there for nine hours. This guy walks up and says, hey, go work. They're just glad to get whatever they can. Now, they may be expecting half of what the original group got. They may be expecting a quarter of what the original group got. We don't know, but what we do know is they're just happy to earn, right? I mean, they're going to make something that day. Anything is better than nothing. So all, off they go into the vineyard, and they're just completely relying on the fairness of the owner. Now look at verses 6 through 7. And about the 11th hour... Now somebody tell me, what time is the 11th hour? It's 5 o'clock. The work day ends at 6 o'clock. It is 5 o'clock. There is one hour left to work, 60 minutes. The owner goes back to the marketplace. So it says this, And about the 11th hour, 5 o'clock, he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because nobody has hired us. And he said to them, You go in the vineyard too. Now, I don't know about y'all, but a couple things popped out at me in this story. First of all, these are not lazy men. These are men that want to work. Do you understand? They have stayed there all day. Listen, I say at 9 o'clock, your hopes are down, right? At noon, half the day's gone. Probably nobody's going to hire you. Maybe somebody will come along, hire you for a half a day. By 3 o'clock, you know, they're thinking, man, this ain't going to... But listen, at 5 o'clock, wouldn't normal, most normal people say, look, I, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go home and get on the couch and watch TV, right? At least for an hour. But these guys don't do that. Even at 5 o'clock, they're waiting, okay? Again, why? Well, they're, for one thing, they're desperate, right? They need to earn to, to feed their families. They need to put food on the table, uh, clothes on their children's back. So, so, so even at 5 o'clock, with only one hour left in the day, they're hoping against hope that somebody will come along and, and hire them. And at least they'll make a little something to, to help them. 
And, and lo and behold, here comes that crazy owner. What is, by the way, what's wrong with this guy? Does he not know how to run a vineyard? Did y'all not ask yourself that question? We'll get to that in just a second. Again, so, so they're at 5 o'clock, one hour's left. They're just about ready to give up, and they look up on the horizon. Here comes that crazy guy one more time. And he comes back, and he hires them. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Common sense says that makes no sense, right? I mean, how much are you really going to get out of them for one hour? How much are you going to really get out of them for 60 minutes? I mean, you're just... You're just not going to get a lot out of it. It's just not, it don't make sense. It's just not worth it. But yet the man comes back and he hires them and puts them to work. Now, I want to know why. Remember I told you this. When I look at this stuff, I'm always asking, why would you do that? First of all, I can't, this guy's got to be the worst vineyard manager in the world, right? Does he not know how many people he needs? But yet he has to keep coming back, right? Have you, have you ever thought about that? I mean, why does he keep coming back? So I ask all these questions, why? Why, is, why would he do this at 5 o'clock? Why does he keep coming back? And again, these are some of my other questions. Does the guy not know how to run a vineyard? Does he not know how many people it takes to get the work done? Why does he keep coming back again and again and again and again? Well, the only answer to this, folks, is he's coming back not because he needs them, but because they need him. See, this is a man of compassion. He's not a bad vineyard owner. He knows what he's doing. He keeps coming back because those men need money. He keeps coming back to hire more because his heart is full of compassion. See, if you haven't figured this out in the parable yet, the owner is God. And we can see that. That's obvious from the, from the parable and the end of the parable that the owner is God. See, guys, this is all about grace. This parable is full of grace. Right? He hires these men at 9 and he hires them at 12, and he hires them at 3, and he hires them at 5, not because he needs them, but because they need him. So he keeps coming back. It's just compassion. It's just, it's just grace flowing out of this man. He just, you know, I can see he goes back to the vineyard, and he thinks, man, there's a lot of people down there that need work. So at 9 o'clock, he goes back and hires some more. And then at 12, he's sitting there, been thinking about, man, there's more down there, right? And even at 5 o'clock, when it makes no sense to go hire People for one hour, he's like, man, I'm going to go back and hire the rest of them. And he goes in and he gets them, right? You see, he sees their plight, and even though it makes absolutely zero business sense to do what he's going to do, he's really not going to get a lot out of them. He hires them anyway. He hires them and he sends them to work for a short 60 minutes because he has compassion. He's doing all this to benefit them, not to benefit himself. Because, again, this is all about grace. Look at verse 8. And when the evening came, now evening is 6 o'clock, okay, this is, the, this is quitting time, the, the, the quitting bell has, has rung. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, and go up to the first. Now, first of all, notice the owner is doing what the Old Testament told him to do, right? Pay them at the end of the day. Don't, don't hold their wages overnight, you pay them at the end of the day. So he calls his foreman and he says, okay, take care of it, go and pay him. But he says something a little odd here. He says, start with the last and then work down to the first. So start with the ones that were hired at five, then pay the ones at three, then 12, then nine, and go all the way down to the ones that were hired uh, at the very beginning of the day. Okay? And again, notice those words. Remember, the whole meaning of this parable is to explain what phrase? 
the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And then in these parable here it says begin with the last and then work up to the first. So you can see what he's doing right here, right? He, this is what he's doing is he's starting to tie the parable in with the meaning of that saying, the first and the last. Here's where the saying and the parable uh, connect with one another. Look at verse 9. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, these are the ones that were hired at five o'clock, each of them received a denarius. Okay? So, so again, he calls the workers, the, the ones that were hired at 5 p.m., and he pays them, and boy, this is beyond. <laughs> these guys are like, holy cow, this is the best thing that's ever happened, right? They were expecting a twelfth, right? Probably. They're expecting just nothing, and the man pays them a full day's wage. Not just a full day's wage for a normal uh, uh, day labor, but a full day's wage for a, a, a Roman soldier. I mean, this is a very, I mean, this is incredibly generous. So these guys are like, they're over the moon, man. They cannot, they can't believe what is what has happened to them. So again, not they don't just get a denarius day, they basically got a denarius for an hour's worth of work. Everybody see that? They got a whole day's pay for an hour's worth of work. A whole day's pay for 60 minutes. So these guys, as I said, I'm sure they're beyond uh, thrilled. Now look at verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Now, why do you, first of all, why would you think they think they should receive more? Well, I can tell you why, because when he calls them all together to be paid, they're standing there, right? And he pays the last ones hired first, but those guys see it. So he pays the ones that are hired at five, then he pays the ones at three and twelve and nine. And by the way, he's giving them all a denarius. And these guys that are waiting at the beginning, they're thinking, well, we're going we're gonna to really make out here, right? We agreed on a denarius, but he paid those guys a denarius? We're, they didn't tell them what we're going to get, Right? Now, I want you to notice something about this parable. Notice there's no mention of the ones being paid, the guys that he hired at 3 or 12 or 9. The, if you look in your Bible, it doesn't even mention paying them. Well, now, here's the question. Why, why doesn't he mention that? Well, because it's not important to the meaning of the parable. What's important is the guys that were hired first and the guys that were hired last, right? The parable is all about first will be last, the last will be first. What happens in the middle doesn't really matter to the meaning. See, this is all about, a, this, this, this uh, parable is all about telling a, is a story, right? It's got a meaning. So, so the point here is it doesn't matter what happens to the guys in the middle. It happens what's hap, what, ma what matters is what happened to the guys that were hired last and the guys that were hired first. Now, again, we can infer from the parable or assume from the parable that the guys in the middle also received a denarius but what's important in the parable is those who were hired at 6 a.m. and those hired at 5, the first and the last, okay? So again, they thought they would receive more. Why did they think this? Again, as I said, they're standing there. They're watching. They're seeing what these guys are getting paid. And so by the time it gets down to them, they're thinking, we work more, we get more, because that's how the world works, right? In the world, that's, that makes perfect sense. You work more, you get more. You work less, you get less. But that's not what happened in the kingdom of heaven. Because remember, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, and he gives us stories. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, not about the world. Look at verse 11 through 12. 
And on receiving it, so he pays the guys that work 12 hours in the scorching heat, he pays them a denarius, just like he agreed. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So they grumble, they murmur, they complain. This isn't fair. We did more. We deserve more, right? And look at verse 13 through 15. But he replied to one of them, this is the owner, he said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? You see, the, the landowner whose decision to pay all the workers the same, it was an act of mercy. It was an act of compassion. It was an act of generosity. It wasn't unfairness. It wasn't, it wasn't injustice. And this landowner obviously represents God. And the fact is, whether God calls someone early in life or calls someone late in life to partake of His grace, that's His business. That's His business. Go back to what He said. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do or to choose? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? You see, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they mentioned the fact, man, I, you know, I didn't come to God until I got late in life. What do you want me to do about that? That's God's business, right? Whether he chooses you young. See, think about this for just one second. I'll, well, let me get to this. I'll get to it in just a minute. Just as the landowner has a right to do what he wishes with his own money, so God has the right to have mercy on whom he will have mercy and when he wants to do it. It's all his. It's His mercy. It's His grace. Yet the glory and the praise for our salvation is His and His alone. And in no way, it's not of unfairness. It's just mercy. It's compassion. It's, it's grace. Notice what is illustrated in the parable. Everybody finishes what? The same. See, then Jesus, at the very end of the parable, verse 16, Jesus makes a statement one last time. So, just as I've illustrated... The last will be first, and the first will be last. You see, guys, this is not a teaching on economics. It's not a teaching on wages and employee benefits. It's a parable about the kingdom of God. It's, it's a simple story given to us to illustrate one point. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That is to say, God treats all of His children equally. When it comes to applying the benefits of salvation, there is no inequality. There's no hierarchy. There's no, there's no caste system. We all receive the same reward regardless of when we began the race. I'm sure, how many of you here when you were younger participated in a race at some point in life, right? I mean, we've all been to races or been in races. And when we have races, there's always a winner and a loser, right? There's a, there's a first place finisher and a second place and a third and a fourth and, the, and, and invariably there's always a last place finisher, right? That, that's how it is in, in races. So think about it this way. Maybe this will help you kind of grasp this. In a race, there's only one way for the last place finisher to finish first and the first place finisher to finish last. And that's how. They all have to finish in a dead heat. 
You see, if everybody in a race finishes in a dead heat, then the last was first, and the first was last, right? You see, that's exactly what Jesus is teaching in this, in this parable, that all the racers cross the line at the, at the, cross the finish line at the exact same time. That's exactly what he means. The last is first, the first is last. You're all in a dead heat. You all finish the same. You all get the same rewards. You all get the same pay. He's not talking about a hierarchy or a caste system. He's saying you're all equal. You're all the same. The first finished last, the last finished, you're all, the, everybody with me? That's exactly what he's saying in this parable. That's the intent and the purpose of this parable is to demonstrate that one simple point that everybody coming into the kingdom of God, all of God's children finish equally. You see, God is continually calling people into his kingdom. He's been doing it for, for now thousands of years, Right? There was a beginning when he started, and one day there will be an end. There will be a last person that gets called into his kingdom. But this work is, is continuous. It's ongoing. The, the work of redemption goes on and on and on and on. And all who come into Christ's kingdom to serve him, no matter how long or how short, no matter how easy it was to get in or how hard to get in, they all come in and they all receive the same reward. And what is that reward? It is eternal life with Jesus Christ. See, those who come to first God first will receive no more than those who come last. Those who come in last receive no more or no less than those who came. For, it has nothing to do with time of service. See, that's kind of what Peter was saying. Well, what about us? What about us? You know, we were here first, right? But see, Jesus said, let me tell you a truth. Let me give you a truth about the kingdom, Peter. The first will be last and the last will be first. When it comes to receiving the, uh, the, the crown of righteousness, when it comes to receiving the crown of life, we're all going to be the same. It doesn't matter if you come in on your deathbed or you come in uh, early as a, as a small child. Now, will we receive different other rewards? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Bible is very clear that, that, that those, there are those of us who have done things in this life in fact, Jesus said, if you give a cup of water in my name, it says what? Anybody? You in no way lose your reward. There are rewards waiting. But the Bible also tells us that when we get those rewards, we'll do what? We'll lay them at his feet. We'll say, man, this, we don't deserve any of this. This all goes to, this all goes to you. But see, the, this parable is not concerned with those things. This parable is concerned with one reward only, and that is the reward of eternal life. And that reward is the same for everyone who trusts in Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says this. This is Paul. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day. And then I love this part. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. That, is, there, is there a better Christian than Paul? Anybody? Is there anybody, let's put it this way, is there anybody that deserves more rewards than Paul? Can you think of anybody that gave more, sacrificed more, suffered more as a Christian than he did? Probably not. But yet Paul says the same reward, that crown of righteousness that I'm going to get, every single worker every single person that came in the kingdom is going to get, regardless of what you went through, regardless of how easy it was or how hard it was, the amount of service, everybody finishes the same. 
Listen, this should be a tremendously encouraging thing for you and I, right? I think about, as I was reading this parable, I couldn't help think about the thief on the cross. Here's a man on a cross, and he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when I come into your kingdom. You see, the, the, the vineyard owner, does it make any sense to hire that guy who's fixing to die in the next hour? Is there any benefit to God? Is that man ever going to witness to another person? Is he? No. He's fixing to be dead. Everybody with me? This is a guy hired at the, the last second he's hired and brought into the kingdom. Because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. See, it makes no business sense for the, for the owner of the vineyard to do that. So why does he do it? Grace. Mercy. Compassion. So you may be 75 years old, you may be 80 years old, and you come into the kingdom. It makes no business sense, quote-unquote, for you to come in. You, you, you know, for the most part, you, you, why didn't he bring us all in when we we're seven or eight so we'd have a whole life to serve him? Well, first of all, that's his business, why he did what he did when he did. It's his mercy, it's his grace, it's his compassion to deal out as he sees fit. But the point is, no matter when you come in, the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. The thief on the cross receives the same crown as the Apostle Paul. That is amazing to me. He, God's not up there with some kind of system writing it all down. Oh, he did this, he did that, he didn't do this. You know, you're going to be... No, no. It's grace, and it's mercy, and it's compassion. The man who accepts Christ on his deathbed receives the same crown of righteousness as the child who comes to Christ at an early age. That should be a tremendous encouragement uh, to, to all of us. Let's pray.